Well, what, what an incredible team. And, and man, what a, what a good weekend. Anybody here for the worship night last night? Come on. Man. man, we went in. I was like, is this an Adventist church? And then I thought, yes, it is. That's the new Adventism that I like right there, right? I already own that website, so you can't have it. TheNewAdventist.com. I'm not kidding. I actually do. Um, I don't know why you're laughing. I do own that website. I've owned it for like 10 years. I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. Um, listen, there's so many here that are here for our conference. Thank you so much for coming. If you're watching online or you just came here today, you're not here for the conference, but you're part of this whole thing. We want you to certainly come and um, have a great time with us at our block party tonight. But if you missed the conference this year and you really say, hey, I don't want to miss that again because you don't. It was pretty phenomenal yesterday. And if you came to the worship night, you know. But we are going to announce right now our conference for next year. It will be September 29th through October 1. And we will be leaning into our core value of experience. So we want you to put it on your calendars now. We will get a website up soon so you can pre-register and all that sort of thing and give us, let us finish this one first and then we'll figure it out. But, um, but next year, September 29th through October 1 will be our Crosswalk Conference. And we just really believe that this is an annual thing that God is going to continue to build um, you know, and that we get a chance to share with one another, with our other campuses and our Love Well groups. And man, it was so exciting because like when it, it started yesterday, you could feel the momentum in the room. And I love being in rooms where you can sense that, you know, that, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? It's just that there's some, the, there's palpable movement in the room, right? I've experienced that twice kind of outside of church. The majority of times I've experienced it in church, just so you know, is right in this room, amen? Like, it's phenomenal. Last night was one of those, man, oh, it's so good. A couple other times I've experienced it. The first one was there was this band that was playing at UCR at the barn when I was in college. And I didn't go to that show, but they said, a buddy of mine went and he said, hey, this band is going to play next week or tomorrow in LA at a Mexican restaurant. We got to go see them. And I was like, okay, that's weird at a Mexican restaurant, but okay. So we go down there. They're only letting like 300 people in. I think we were number 278 and 279, my buddy and I, five bucks to go see this band. Couldn't believe it. We walked through a restaurant where they're like making guacamole for people at the table. And we're like, hey, we're going to go down here. And there's a bar underneath that we went to see this band. And, uh, and 300 people waiting to see Rage Against the Machine. Yeah, man. I told you it wasn't a jesus -y concert. But it was, it was, man, the room was electric, right? The room was alive. It was incredible. And they started to play and then we all, you know, felt bad about ourselves because... It was a lot of indictment against us, but that was okay. Um, they were raging against the machine, and sometimes you feel part of the machine. It's okay. It was a phenomenal concert, though. It was just incredible. The other time I experienced that was in another church. It was at Willow Creek, um, 3,000 of us at a leadership conference. And I think it's the first time worship really hit different than it ever had before. You know, you kind of grow up with camp songs, at least when you grew up in the 70s and the 80s. It was like, you know, there's a flag flying high in the castle of my heart. Woo, in the castle. Like, it's like... You know, or we're marching to Zion, which I believe is the Adventist like equivalent of a you know drinking song. We're marching to Zion. Do you have the red punch? Because you know we all used to get that. Um, did you not have that the red punch? We used to call it the red death. It's very, it's very health messaging. Um, 
Anyway, we're at, we're at this Willow Creek conference and, and, you know, there's a video and it's exciting and you could feel the room. The room was alive and then everything went black and one guy walks out and the light comes down and there's a grand piano and he sits down and he starts to just play the same songs I'd sung growing up, but they were different than I'd ever heard them before. And it, it just changed the whole way I thought about worship and experience and the Holy Spirit showing up. It was just incredible. The room was alive. And that's why I love Crosswalk Church because the, room are alive, the rooms are alive. It doesn't matter where you go, you walk into the room and there's an expectation of the Holy Spirit showing up. There's this, there's this palpable sense that God is on the move and God is going to do something. And we've been talking about what God is doing. Right? And we talked about the momentum that God has been creating for us. But there's a question i got to ask at the beginning and I'll ask it at the, at the end as well. One of the biggest questions about momentum is what are you going to do with it? Right? Will you be like the peloton that's propelling others to the end of their race? While it's hard to get momentum, you got to figure out what you're going to do with it. And we've been talking about how God builds momentum for the last six weeks, but I thought today we'd spend a little bit of time on how to kill momentum in your church. There's at least seven surefire ways to kill momentum. And most of us have lived through them at different parts and different times in our lives. And we have to be sure that we don't become those people as well as we sense the momentum of God happening right now in our communities. Number one, you kill momentum when you take credit for success. When you go, hey, I figured this out. Whether it's a leadership team, whether it's a pastor, whether it's somebody running a ministry, when you say this works because I'm here and you think that I'm the one who's responsible for it. I mean, listen, momentum can be found in lots of biblical movements throughout the Old and the New Testament. Joshua leading the people into the promised land, the gospel multiplying um, through the disciples in the book of Acts. There's lots of these stories, but there's also lots of these stories of people then believing that they were the reason that God was even working in the world. And we're seeing things fall apart. I think David is a great example of that. He thought that God was working through him and then he made the mistakes that made it very difficult for God to work through him. The truth is this, if you have the right kind of momentum, it's God that gave it to you. So give God the credit. And by the way, giving God the credit doesn't mean that we are saying God is only working in our churches or in our movement that God has worked with us, God is working all over the place. But if we have a season, if we have a moment in time where God is moving momentum into our communities, into our groups, into our churches, then we need to acknowledge the fact that this is of God, not of us. And that praise God that he's been willing to stay with us for a while. The second way that you kill momentum is that you kill momentum when you let the grind discourage you. We call it the tyranny of Sabbath. Those of you who put churches together, you know, right? It feels like Sabbath comes every other day. Preachers, can I get an amen in this house? Man, you finish, you like you say amen on Sabbath after, you Sabbath, you know, at noon. Well, most churches, us like 1.30. Um, you say amen, and by sun, sundown, you're thinking already about what the next sermon is going to be. 
right? If you run ministries, if you do worship, this thing comes and it's a grind. But I love what Sam said yesterday at our conference. He said, we do the work, absolutely. We do the work, but we let the outcome be God's. And when we do that, it allows for us to, to take that responsibility of what happens as we work faithfully to God off of our hands and our hearts and give that to God and let him be responsible for it. And he does amazing things. The truth is momentum is grown in the fertile soil of consistent ministry. And this is why we demand excellence and say that this is one of our highest values. We do that because we want any time when someone walks into a room of a crosswalk church, they know it's going to be great because the people there are so committed to God that they're not willing to do anything but be excellent for God. And that's important, I think. I think you, you kill momentum when you give too much attention to the critics, right? Well, momentum can minimize disappointments and criticisms. Momentum often necessitates change. And change creates criticism, right? If we allow the critics to dictate our ministry, then the status quo or decline ensues. In Scripture, Nehemiah refused to listen to the critics, and he built a wall around Jerusalem. The problem is we too often listen to the critics. If we did that, man, we... Everything would have been the same as I got here eight years ago. I mean, we'd have the same lights, we'd have the same stage, we'd have the same, everything would be the same if we listened to critics. Because there's always going to be somebody who goes, nah, maybe not. Because there's always a critic. You know that. In public speaking, they tell you this. They say, listen, 97% of the people like you. 97% of the people want you to do well. 97% of the people are with you. 3% hate you and always will. Right? In this room, it's true. So like 12 of you need to leave. <laughs> you know who you are. We'll wait. I walked out on the stage. You're like, mm, I don't like the cut of his jib, which nobody knows what that means. But like, I don't, I don't like the way he walks. I, one time I got criticized. Like some guy was like, I don't like your hand in your pocket when you preach. <laughs> but then I don't know what to do with my hands. They're helpful. Like, if you're going to listen to critics, you're never going to do anything. To keep momentum, we must refuse to be afraid of our critics. Amen. Of course people don't like things to change. That's okay. But maybe we don't have the same malady as they do. I'm okay with change. I like things to change. I don't find comfort in the routine. I find comfort in the new. And that's just how I've been made. If we listen to critics, we're not going to do anything because we're going to give them all the power over us. And I got to tell you, that's hard to do in ministry because everybody's got an opinion. I love it when someone comes up to me and says, Pastor, what you should do. I'm like, okay, <laughs> here we go. And it's never what I would like to do for you. It's never that. It's always what you should do. Like, oh, great. It's all, I mean, I appreciate it. I love your opinions. <laughs> Especially before I've had lunch on Sabbath. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. But listen, we got to move, and there's going to be criticism when it happens. That's okay. 
You kill momentum when you lose sight of the mission by basking in the success of the past. How many churches have you been to who you, that were like, you know what, in the 90s, we were the church. Everybody came to us. We were amazing. I'm like, there's nine of you now. And they're like, yeah. Remember then? You know that guy from high school, right? That guy who was like, when I was in high school, when, that's, when the conversation starts like that, when I was in high school, you're like, okay, you're 50. Anything, else, anything happened between there? There's like 32 years that something could have happened. And they're like, yeah, I've got great kids, but I really was a good football player when I was in high school. You're like, oh man, I feel bad for you. <laughs> All right, let's not be those people. Uh, momentum itself is never the goal, right? Making disciples, worshiping Jesus, belonging and growth, that is the goal. And those are things that are constantly moving. Those are constantly in flex. Those are constantly happening. If you were here last night, you know we had an amazing worship night. It was phenomenal. Praise God for it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That was last night. What are we doing today? All right. And I guess we did it again today. It was beautiful, right? Because God is still moving. He didn't stop last night. He didn't stop 20 years ago. He didn't stop 30 years ago. He didn't stop in 1844 or 1888 or 1903. He didn't stop any of those times because God continues to move. So why shouldn't his church? Churches that idolize tradition or nostalgia once had momentum, but instead of building on it, they idolized it and stopped moving forward. The truth is this. I believe the best is yet to come. And as long as Jesus hasn't come, there is more ahead of us to do. Here's a simple rule. If he's not here, there's more to do. Got it? All right, so if you wake up in the morning, Jesus isn't there, you got work to do. Yeah. It's super simple. It's super easy to release. And listen, tradition's great, right? I love tradition. Tradition honors the dead. I'd like to honor the living because I know them and I know what they need. And I'm still living and I know what I need. And I got to tell you, I, last night I'm you know, standing on the side watching this happen, thinking I wish I could be 21 again. Not so I could be up front. I mean, there's some of that. I'm not going to lie. That dude was super cool. He started singing. I was like, oh. But I wish I was 21 again so I could have grown up in this environment. Right? So, so I could have seen something that I didn't even know existed because then I would have recognized that the desires of my heart aligned with the desires of God rather than having to spend five years playing in clubs and, and you know, doing music in places that didn't honor God. I wish I would have known that this was possible. That's why I wanted to be 21 again. And because my hair would be much darker. <laughs> but I count this all as a blessing anyway. <laughs> Listen, for leaders, you kill momentum when you run past the vision of your people. Right? If you're surfing and you get too far ahead of the crest of the wave, you've got to actually turn back. And the best surfers in the world know how to do that. They, they ride that momentum way out and then they come back and they gather that momentum again by being close to the wave. The peloton is the same way. It can propel someone forward. But if they go too far forward, then they're working too hard themselves as leaders of ministry leaders, of groups, of campuses. You can't get too far out from your congregation, from your people. A leader who's gone too far away is just out on a walk by him or herself. And we have to make sure that we are bringing people along. And that means we vision, we show them where we're going, how we're going to get there. And we walk ahead of them, but we make sure we bring them along. And sometimes that means we step back, we take a moment, we rest with them, we, we vision again, we encourage them, and then we move forward. There's a pace to this. 
forward and sometimes back and forward and sometimes stop and forward and sometimes really far forward. Right? It's important. Good leaders, we lead where the people are looking ahead to, not so far ahead that we fail. We also, we kill momentum when we ignore the wisdom of the body of Christ. We must be careful to avoid an overestimation of our individual importance. Momentum only really matters in the body of Christ as it helps the church glorify Christ, make disciples, and grow the kingdom. So never think you know better than everyone else. Sometimes call is confirmed and wisdom is confirmed in community. Should we make this decision? Should we make this investment? Should we move ahead? Yes, no. These are conversations that we have collaboratively, whether it's leadership teams or congregations as a whole. Because it's important that we're moving at the pace that God wants us to move. Sometimes churches say, hey, hang back a little bit, and that's okay. Sometimes it's time to push really hard forward because that's okay as well. And so it's important that we listen to one another a lot. And so we have to make sure we have good feedback loops within our churches. You kill momentum when you forget that God is constantly on the move. And I want you to hear this. This means if you are stagnant, you've moved out of the presence of God and you focused on something else. And this is true in church all the time. Churches don't grow. Churches decline. Churches don't make moves. Nothing, no one's excited about going to church. I'm fascinated when a pastor calls me and says, hey, I just met someone at the grocery store. I invited them to your church on Sabbath tomorrow. And I'm like, why didn't you invite them to your church? And they say, well, you know my church. Let me just tell you something. And if you're a pastor, I want you to hear this. That's not okay. It is not okay to be leading a group of people that you don't even want to be with. Right? To be leading a church that has no vision. That is your job. And you've got to work hard to continually put it. And you know what? It may take years for your church to catch that vision. And I know how hard that is, right? And I, I, I know there are people here like, come on, man. You don't know my church. But I know God's church. And I know that these people didn't start out to be this way. Something hurt them along the way. They stopped trusting in the movement of God. They stopped believing that God could do anything anymore. So you may have to spend the next three years preaching about the fact that God is still on the move, that God is still wanting to do something and wanting to do something with this group of people that have seemed like they're dead for 30 years. The good news is God knows how to raise the dead. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now it's true. The dead don't always want to get up. But do we believe in miracles anymore? Do we believe that we can live in a season of miracles for our churches and for our communities? That God can actually do something, can change hearts and can change minds? Do we believe that people who have left the church will actually want to come back to the church because they experience a love that is so profound that they can't not come anymore? I mean, if we don't believe that that happens, what are we doing? Are we just running out the clock? hoping that Jesus comes before this church dies. I mean, that's how we run churches sometimes. Anyway, we know what kills momentum. In this last six weeks, we've talked about what builds that momentum. So again, what are you going to do with the momentum that God's giving you? 
Now listen, we're biblical people. We're a biblical church. We go to Scripture to find out the answers to questions like these. So what I love about this text that we've chosen, right, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 and 3, which we preach on for a long time. And if you had to preach in this series from one of your campuses, like, I apologize. I, I, I didn't, I wanted to just stay. I wanted to hang in that space. But the reason why I like this text is because of the text that comes before it. So if we're going to ask what we do with the momentum, we got to look and see what people in Scripture did with the momentum that God gave them. Right? And chapter 11 says that. First of all, it explains to you what faith is. It said, faith shows us the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see, which seems like a paradox. But it's not when you understand who God is. It's not a paradox when you understand that God can show us things that we can't see. And God can show us things that we can't know. But he only does it through faith. And through faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. So that's the first lesson we can learn. If we're going to take this momentum from God, the first thing we've got to do is we've got to, we've got to honor the reputation of God. Because when we have a good reputation, God has a good reputation if we say we're his people. So that's the first thing that momentum prods us to do is make sure we are building a good reputation for God. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command that what we now see did not come from anything else that can be seen. What that means is that not only are we to build a good reputation with this momentum that God gives us, but let us never forget that all of this, the momentum, the church, the all of creation was created by God, by a sovereign God who loves us. So never let us try and do this without him. The momentum comes from God because he's created everything. And then he goes in. The author of Hebrews goes in and says it was by faith that Abel bought, brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man. And God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. So what we've got to learn is, oh man, obedience must matter in momentum. Obedience to what God is calling us to and what God has asked for, that's important as well. It was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. For before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God. I love the story of Enoch. I don't know if you guys do. I love this story because it's a story of a friendship that was so tight. God said, I'd just rather not be without you. Rather than let you die and wait, I'm going to just take you now because I don't want to stop this conversation. Be that kind of conversationalist with God and with other people. Someone who is so compelling because of the things that they share and the way that they have relationships that God doesn't want to be without you and the people around you don't want to be without you. That's how momentum is built. And then it says it is impossible to please God without faith. Right? The evidence of things hoped for. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who wanted him, who, who warned him about things that had never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. Are you catching this? By faith, Abel, by faith. Noah. By faith, Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. That's a big deal in ancient Israel. You know that, right? 
just, you're going to walk off and just show up somewhere? How are you going to do that? It may not be our country. Abraham did it by faith because he didn't know where he was supposed to go. That means that sometimes we move by faith not knowing how things are going to end up. That means sometimes we move into places that we're not sure we're supposed to be. That sometimes we rent buildings that we're not sure how long we're going to be in them. Sometimes we move in those ways because we have to, because by faith is the way we're moving. And momentum moves by faith, not other, any other way. And even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith. For he was like a foreigner living in tents. And so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. You know what? He never got there. Sometimes God calls you to go out, move into the desert, and figure it out. And you may not even get to the destination, but that's never been the point of faith. The point of faith is not when we get there. The point of faith is how we go. And so we move ahead by faith in the momentum that God has given us. It was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child. She was born barren and was too old. She believed that God would keep his promises. And so a whole nation came from this one man who was as good as dead. A nation with so many people, like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, there was no way to count them. We worry about empty seats in our churches? Stop it. Move ahead by faith. If God can fill nations, you think he can fill your church? I think he can. Do the work, let the outcome be God's. Love people, love them well, and see how your church gets filled up. Right? It's not, it's not an accident. You choose to love by faith. All these people died still believing what God had promised them. They didn't even receive it. Friends, you might not receive it. You might receive whatever reward you think you're going to get. They did not receive it but they saw it from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Do you ever feel like you're a, a stranger in your own faith tradition? Because I have. And I don't want to feel that way anymore. So we wanted to build a tent that fit a whole lot of people in so that we can all live, even as foreigners. Because we know this world's not our home. We're just passing through. Listen, obviously says the writer. People who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. Of course. If they had longed for the country they came back from, they could have gone back. You can go back to the churches that you left. You can go back to not going to church, but we think there's love here and this is where you need to be. But you see, they're looking for a better place and we're looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he's prepared a city for them. I'm just stopping there in 11:16, but there's so much more. By faith, Isaac. By faith, Jacob. By faith, Joseph. By faith, Moses and Israel. By faith, Rahab and Gideon. By faith, Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and all the prophets and all the martyrs. Everybody moved by faith, and that's how the momentum of God gets connected with you. Right? By faith, all of these people did amazing things. By faith, all these people moved in the momentum God had given them, and they did amazing things. So, of course, this begs the question, what will you do with the momentum that God is giving you? 
Now I announce that we're going to have conference next year, September 29 to October 1. And this is what I think. I think we are moving to a season of not only momentum, but a season of miracles. I actually believe that God is going to continue to grow this community and grow communities all across this country and all across this world. And I think next year when we gather together for our conference, our Crosswalk Conference, this stage probably won't be big enough. It's not that big anyway, but it's not that big enough to hold everyone who's going to be part of the communities that God is growing, whether it's in their homes or their front rooms or whether it's in churches that they're renting or churches that they're buying or places that they're building. I believe that God is going to do that. Because we're experiencing the momentum of God. And some of these churches are going to be big and huge. And some are going to be tiny and small. None of that matters. Because scale does not determine the quality of the call. Because every person that we touch for the kingdom of God is worthy of our work. And that outcome, that is God's. So friends, we do all this because of one reason. And it's because... We live in the goodness of God. He is good enough for us to serve, good enough for us to grind for, good enough for us to step into the momentum by faith because of who he is. So as we sing this final song today, I want you to give your heart, give your life, give your calling over to God once more so you can live in the season of momentum but also experience the season of miracles as God calls us to continue to grow his kingdom. Stand up and sing with us one more time. Thank you.